0: the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do and now Father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world yours they were And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture maybe might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as I as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, and
1: I in them. Have you ever had um, a moment of truth? You know, that, that critical moment that everything's been building up to, that you've been preparing for, and, it, and it's finally here. And this is it. Maybe it was the morning of a, of a big exam. You've had years of lessons, you've done months of revision. A couple of days of cramming. And now you've got to go into that exam room and make it all count. Or, or it's the night before an, an operation. You saw the surgeon a few times in clinic. You've been on the waiting list. Uh, it's the NHS. For a long time, you've done that final prep that the hospital has asked you to. And now it's all very real and very soon. It's the moment of truth. And whether it's an exam or or an operation, um, a big job interview, or your wedding day, it'll all be going round and round in your mind. The past that's brought you to this point and and the new future that it will bring. Am I ready? Have I done everything I needed to? What's going to change? Am I ready for that? It's a moment of truth. And, and if we're Christians, it's a moment that drives us to prayer. To pour out our, our concerns to our Father God. To put it all in his hands. To ask for his comfort and strength. And here we are in John 17. And Jesus is praying to his Father at his moment of truth. Or as he calls it, his, his hour. Look at verse 1. So we're on page 1089. Um, if you'd like to follow through uh, with me in the passage. So verse 1, the hour has come. He first mentioned that hour um, when he told his mother at the wedding in Cana that his hour had not yet come. And and in chapter 13, verse 1, it has. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. His hour, his moment of truth is his death and resurrection. And from chapter 13 to 16, he's been teaching his disciples what that means, what the future holds for them, how the Spirit will help them live for Jesus in the world when Jesus is no longer here in person. About the the imminent sorrow of Jesus' death. He's going to die tomorrow. But after great sorrow, there'll be lasting joy and access to the Father, all because of Jesus' victorious death on the cross. And now in chapter 17, the hour has come. Literally, um, they're they're just half an hour's walk from the garden where he's going to be arrested at the beginning of chapter 18. This is it. When he finishes praying and leaves this room, the whole chain of events is set in motion. He'll be arrested Tried, crucified, buried, and then he'll rise again and return to his Father in heaven. This is the moment of truth. The the moment before the single most critical point in human history. And Jesus prays. prays. He prays for himself in the first five verses. He prays for his disciples who are there with him. And then in the last few verses he prays for all those who will be his disciples in the future. So it's a time for prayer because it's all in God's hands. It's all according to his plan. It's all for his purposes. God's got this. And Jesus' prayer is full of dependence on God the Father. And it's full of the the intimate relationship and love between Jesus and his Father. Jesus knows his Father hears him. And he knows his disciples will hear him too. Both those in the room with him and us reading this prayer today. Jesus has been teaching them and us in the last few chapters. And his prayer teaches us too about what Jesus has done so far and what's going to happen next. So his prayer is... It's full of explanations of of what it's all about and what's been happening. So verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life. explains what it is. Verse 8, he says what he's done. I've given your people the words that you gave me. They received them and so on. So watching Jesus pray is a a bit like watching a play, but being able to see what's going on behind the scenes at the same time, how it's all been done. But it's it's much more than a summary of what's happening um, or how it's all working out. Jesus' prayer is full of why. It's full of the purpose. So again in the and again in this prayer, we get the word that, as in so that or in order to. It's the expression of purpose. It explains why something is done. This happens, so that something else happens. Now, the word is, is quite a common Greek word. It's used a lot in the New Testament, but nowhere as much as this chapter. About 20 times in, in this prayer. No other chapter comes close. This is the chapter of so that. This is a prayer of purpose. Last week, uh, Matt mentioned Pegasus Bridge and the plans for D Day and how uh, military plans have a, have a short term goal, capture the bridge. And a long-term goal? Defeat the Nazis. I used to be in the Army Reserves, and I remember um, being taught what a mission was. A military mission is a task with a purpose. So, capture this bridge in order to stop the German counterattack on Sword Beach. The idea is that I guess soldiers should know what they have to do and why they have to do it. Perhaps because you're more likely to do something when you understand the point of doing it. And when you're given your orders for your particular task with its purpose, you aren't just told what your own commander's purpose is. You're told about the commander one level up. You're given the the one-ups purpose too, so you can see how you fit into the bigger picture Beyond your own part of the battlefield. So, capture this bridge to stop the counterattack so that we can break out of Normandy and then into Germany so that we win the war. Every task has a purpose within a bigger purpose. And everything fits into the biggest purpose of winning the war. And Jesus' prayer is full of purposes with bigger purposes. So, for example, verse 11, keep them um, that they may be one. Or, Or verse 23, I ask that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. Keep them that they may be one, may they be one so that the world know that you sent me. But throughout it all, there's the biggest purpose. Not of winning the Second World War but of glorifying God. So let's look at how Jesus prays for glory. That's my first heading. God's glory and our eternal life. This is the first five verses. God's glory and our eternal life. Jesus prays for himself here in the first five verses. Let me me read it. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Our prayers are usually very different from this. Especially at times of crisis, at those moments of truth. Yes, we're likely to pray for ourselves, but we often just focus on the ask. And please help me get through this exam. Please help me get through this operation. Or maybe we don't know. But we, we, we have no idea what to ask. And we just pour out our, our confusion, our distress. And it's good to do that. God wants us to bring all our concerns to him. But Jesus doesn't do that here. His prayer is all about the big picture. About God's glory and our eternal life. About what God has done and is doing. About God's purposes. And although sometimes we we do do that in our prayers, Jesus' prayer is still very different because he prays for his own glory. Glorify your son, verse 1. Glorify me, verse 5. It's about his glory and his authority and his work that fulfills his father's purposes. So Jesus' prayer is Unique, it's not so much as a, of a model prayer for us to, to pray ourselves in times of crisis. It's more for us to, to learn about God's purposes and Jesus' part in them and what it means for us. I'm going to try and explain it on, on a slide. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. So it's at the cross that Jesus will be most glorified. And it's at the cross that he will bring glory to his Father. So at the cross, glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify the Father. But but how does that work? It's all very well saying he's glorified at the cross, but but how? Well, let's have a look at the next verse, verse 2, which is the explanation. It's a parallel to the previous sentence. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you since, or or in other words, you have given him authority over all flesh in order to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. What Jesus is praying, what John is, is, is showing us here, is that as Jesus is glorified by the Father. Glorify your Son in giving him authority over all flesh. So that the Son may glorify the Father in giving eternal life to all people. We'll explain that more. So at the cross, Jesus overcame the world. We saw that at the end of chapter 16. He defeated death and sin. He won the victory. That is when he's crowned. That's when he's given authority. That's when he's glorified. And the purpose of this, the the result of the cross, is that eternal life is given to his people. As people respond to the glory of Christ by believing in him, that brings glory to the Father. That's what Jesus hinted at in chapter 12, verse 23. He said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about his death. Because he goes on, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, the fruit of many people having eternal life. As Jesus dies, he is glorified. And his death has a glorious purpose. The harvest of much fruit. God's people enjoying eternal life. And that eternal life is explained more in verse 3. It's not so much that it's everlasting, although it is. It's knowing God the Father and God the Son. It's an everlasting and true relationship with the true and everlasting God. It's life as it was always meant to be, knowing the God who made us. It doesn't start when we die. It starts when we follow Jesus. Knowing him intimately through his spirit. Loving and loved by him. That's the purpose of it all. That's why Jesus has come to this hour. To be glorified so that people come to know God and enjoy that eternal life with him so that the Father is glorified. In verse 4, Jesus is so in the moment. The hour has so come already that although it's actually still 24 hours away, he can speak of this as being a done deal. His victory on the cross is so certain he can say, I've done it. I've accomplished the work that you sent me to do. I've glorified you. And then in verse five, he looks to his future glory. The the glory that he had in the past in heaven with his father will soon be his again after he rises and returns to his father. So it's all about God's glory from beginning to end. This is God's mission for his people to come to know him so that he is glorified. And our prayers should be in line with with God's big purpose. If a, if a military mission was a task with a purpose, Christian prayer is an ask with a purpose. And our commander-in-chief's overarching purpose is to bring glory to God. And what Jesus shows us is that what brings glory to God is his people coming to eternal life through the good news of Jesus enjoying eternal life as we come to know God more and more through his spirit. So let's pray for God's glory by praying for eternal life for God's people. Whatever whatever task it is that we're praying for, whatever issue it is, God cares about and is sovereign over every detail. But let's pray for those details as they fit into the bigger picture. Let's pray that in our illness... God would strengthen us so that we would know him more. Let's pray that in our illness, God would heal us so that others would see and glorify God and know him for themselves. Let's pray in our exams that God would grant us the results that we need so that we can do the course or get the job where we can serve him best so that... We can bring others to Jesus and become more like Jesus ourselves. Well, that's our first heading, God's glory and our eternal life. It's Jesus' prayer for himself to fulfil God's mission. And Jesus now turns to pray for his disciples. So this is our second heading, protected for that mission. To bring his people to eternal life, to bring glory to God. Verses 6 to 19, protected for that mission. Now Jesus is, is praying here for the 11 disciples who are still with him. He's, he's praying for them, um, if we look at verse 11, because he is, he's going. He's leaving them behind in the world. So he's, he's praying into what he's been explaining to them in the last few chapters. There's so much here we could, we could spend time on. But I want to focus on what Jesus prays for twice. That God would protect them. Verse 11. Keep them. Verse 15. Keep them from the evil one. In verse 12, Jesus says he's protected them so far, but now he's returning to the Father. So he asked the Father to keep on protecting them. Keep them, verse 11, so that they may be one as Jesus is one with his Father. Verse 13. So that they may be filled with joy. The joy that comes from Jesus. That's what he wants them kept for, to enjoy together that eternal life of knowing God intimately. And they need to be kept safe from the opposition. Verse 14, the world has hated them. Verse 15, the evil one is after them. Jesus told them in um, chapter 15 how the world would hate them. So he prays for them to face that hatred. You see, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't pray for the hatred and the opposition to stop. He doesn't ask for them to be removed from it. No, he asks that they'd be kept, protected. If you're, um, if you're doing something messy in the kitchen or, or under the car, you, you wear an apron or overalls. Um, of course, there's another way to avoid getting messy, and that's just... Um, Just don't do the work. Um, Just relax with a nice cup of tea. Or, even more extremely, um, take the washing up or the broken bike and just throw it in the bin. Um, You won't need protection if you don't do the work. But you do need protection if you do do the work. And Jesus prays for protection for his disciples. Because he wants them to be doing the work. He wants them to fulfill his purposes, to complete the mission. He wants them in the world where it's difficult and dangerous, where the opposition is. See, if the disciples were just to give up, they wouldn't need to be protected. In verse 14, the world only hates them because they're not of the world. If they were just the same as everyone else, there'd be no opposition and no need for protection. But they'd be lost. Or they could withdraw from the world into a holy huddle. And just shut themselves off from any opposition. They could, they could try knowing God together. Uh, and they wouldn't need protection. And maybe we're sometimes tempted to do that. Where church becomes a, a nice club of, of like-minded people it doesn't engage with the outside world. But if they or, or we did that, we wouldn't be achieving the mission, that bigger purpose. Jesus is explicit, isn't he? Verse 15, he doesn't ask God to take them out of the world. He wants his disciples who are not of the world to be in the world. Because of course it's it's not just about them. Back in in verse 2, God's bigger purpose is to bring eternal life to all his people. That's what's going to glorify him. And so if you skip down to verse 20, Jesus is concerned not just with those 11 disciples, but with all those who believe in him in the future. And the way they're going to come to know Jesus is through the mission of those original disciples, through their word. So Jesus doesn't ask for the removal of all the opposition, because there are many people out there in the world who are going to come to know Jesus for themselves. It's hard work. We need protection. But we're doing it to bring people to Jesus, to bring glory to God. And that is what Jesus is setting aside his disciples for, for that mission. So verse 17 Sanctify them. Sanctify means set apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. They're set apart in God's word to be sent into the world. Verse 18, to be sent as Jesus was sent. Jesus was set apart and sent to bring glory to God by bringing his people to eternal life. And he did that by dying on the cross. His apostles and, and we, we can't die on a cross for people's sins. We can tell people the good news that Jesus did. And we can't do that if we, if we fall away or hide away or if there's no one to tell. We need to be protected for mission. We're not, we're not the 11 apostles, but we are set apart to bring the word of those apostles to the world. And it is going to be hard. We need to pray for protection. Not to hide away. Which leads me to our our final heading: united for that mission. These are verses twenty to twenty-six. This is Jesus' prayer for us that we'd be united for that mission, God's glory and our eternal life. So this is this is Jesus' prayer for us. If we if we follow Jesus today, if 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 we are those, in verse 20, um, who have believed in him through the word of the apostles, through the, through the mission of countless generations who have, who have picked up the baton from the, from the apostles, who passed on that word to us, is Jesus' prayer for us. And Jesus' prayer for us, verse 21, is that we're one. Just as Jesus and the, and the Father are one. Just as Jesus prayed for his disciples in verse 11. Again, there's loads here we could spend time on, But I want to focus on the prayer that Jesus asks twice. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. A people loved by God, who love him and love one another. Well, how is that unity achieved? Well, in verse 22... It's by the glory that Jesus was given by God and gives us. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And God gave glory to Jesus at the cross, and he gives it to us as we look at the cross. As we hear and respond to the gospel, we see his glory. And so we become one, his people, enjoying eternal life in him. But here's the thing, again, twice, Jesus gives the purpose behind the purpose. His glory is given so that we become one. His apostles speak of that glory so that we become one. And we are one so that others will believe. Verse 21, that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus prays in verse 23, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Our unity, our oneness will draw people to Jesus as a, as a bee is, is drawn to beautiful flowers. So the world should be drawn to the beauty of the unity of God's people loving one another. And that's the lived-out reality of the gospel that we proclaim. It's the, it's the living what we're speaking. I don't know if you know A Christmas Carol um, And when the, by Charles Dickens. When the ghost of, of Christmas past shows Scrooge the sheer joy and life and togetherness of Belle's family as they prepared for Christmas... Scrooge says, what would I not have given to be one of them? What would I not have given to be one of them? Our friends who, who don't yet know Jesus, is that how they see us? Do they see real love and joy and life? Do they see unity? Our world is so fragmented, isn't it? by class, by ethnicity, gender, politics, so much distrust and hatred of those who are not one of us. What a powerful apologetic it would be if Christians, if this church could show the world that none of those barriers separates us, that we really do love each other, whoever we are. We look out for one another, we care for one another, we build one another up. Maybe you're a guest here today. My prayer is that you would see a church that loves one another and that you would want to be part of it. What would I not give to be one of them? For those of us who are not guests, this is our church. This is who God has given us to love. Look around you. To be united with. We're not perfect. We get things wrong. So let's forgive one another too. But let's work hard at living out the word we believe. Because verse 20, it's through the word that people will believe in Jesus. They need to hear the gospel, the word that the apostles preached. Jesus died on the cross to bring glory to God and our eternal life. And we need to speak that clearly. But it's our love for one another that will attract people to that message. To make people want to hear it, want to believe it. Until one day, all God's people will have come to know Jesus. To have eternal life. To be one in him. So let's keep going until that day. Verse 24, when we will all see the eternal glory of Jesus. The glory that he has in the presence of his Father in heaven. The glory from before time the glory for all eternity. Let's pray. Our Father, gods, please keep us, protect us, so that we can be part of your mission to gather your people and, and bring them life. Please, our Father, make us one, knowing and loving you and one another, drawing others to know you too. For our sake and your glory. Amen.